0: The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at Thank you for listening and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. reading this morning's sermon text let's take a brief look at the context the book of John is known as is known for Jesus I am statements six of which precede today's passage I am the bread of life I am the light of the world I am the door I am the good shepherd I am the resurrection and the life I am the way the truth and the life Today's passage continues in what is known as Christ's farewell discourse. Earlier in the evening, Jesus demonstrated his love and humility towards his disciples by removing his outer garments and washing their feet. He declared his disciples clean, that is, all but one of them. Having eaten the Passover meal together, Judas Iscariot, as had been foretold, left the gathering into the night in order to betray his master. With Judas's departure, Christ's ultimate act of suffering and obedience took a crucial step forward towards its conclusion. And so he proclaimed to them, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God glorified in him. He went on to declare, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another the disciples rise leave the upper room and jesus continues his farewell discourse as they make their way to the garden of gethsemane and so now the gospel of john chapter 15 beginning at verse 1 please follow along i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away heard from my father i have made known to you you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things i command you so that you will love one another the grass withers and the flowers fade But the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. For your words are light and life for us. We ask that as we consider your word this morning, that you would soften our hearts towards it, and that by your Spirit, the light of your word would penetrate into our hearts that we may love and obey you as we ought for your glory. We ask this in the name of your son, our redeemer and king, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, Paul, take you, Vicki, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse in plenty of and in want in sickness and in health to love honor and cherish till death us do part these were the words used in the promises made to establish our union of holy matrimony over 40 years ago many of you have made similar vows together the pledge confirms and demonstrates i'm sorry uh These vows are a pledge which binds the couple together. The pledge confirms and demonstrates that their union, their lifetime union, is of a nature that transcends every circumstance. Whether their paths are filled with tranquility, safety, and ease, or fraught with danger and hardships, they travel together, supporting one another along the way. When the marriage covenant is kept, Each partner can be certain of their mate's constancy, even in the darkest of times. So the love each partner has for the other does not come without a cost. Love is too great, too precious not to require sacrifice. We are often reminded that marriage is a picture of the mystical union between Christ and his bride, the church. Today's passage is multifaceted, containing some hard sayings, to put it mildly. We will primarily focus uh, in our call to obedience. Obedience that finds its expression in Christ's commandment to love one another. I am the vine, you are the branches. Metaphors of vines and trees and their fruit were commonly used by the prophets prior to Jesus' incarnation. And here, in what many scholars believe to be the central point of the farewell discourse, Jesus makes his seventh and final I am statement. I am the vine, you are the branches. Clearly, as branches, our very life is in the vine, in Christ. And there is no other vine. Jesus is the true vine. Continuing with Christ's metaphor, he states that as the branches need to be tended to, it is the Father who does the tending. A reading of this passage shows the branch as having two possible outcomes. One is to bear fruit, and one is to bear no fruit, I'm sorry, and to be removed from the vine. The other is to bear fruit and to be relentlessly snipped and pruned in order to promote a greater abundance of fruit. Shoots that spring out of a branch may become useful in producing fruit or continuously deplete the vine's resources without producing anything good. It is the father's wisdom that determines what is to be cut off and what is to be kept and tended to. Perhaps you may think, that this idea of constant cutting away sounds painful it is meant to sound painful pruning is a radical enterprise having our lives redirected is not easy in fact it is typical is typically painful painful and frustrating frustrating because it so often seems to be counterproductive the shoots that are being cut away may appear to be healthy in our eyes. But the vine dresser is wise. He knows just what the branches need. After exhorting us to abide in him that we may bear fruit, Jesus goes on to speak of the consequences of not remaining in him and of not bearing fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Can you not hear the echo of the prophets here in their warnings against Israel? Again and again, they ignored their God. Their God, whose love was patient and forbearing even over centuries. Again and again, they they were warned. If they continued to bear no fruit, they would be cut off. Jeremiah says, I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I have bereaved them. I have destroyed my people. They did not turn from their ways. And John the Baptist, preparing the way for Christ, hearkens back to Israel when he says, His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There is always a struggle in every fallen culture, which means every culture, to understand love. As with any good thing, we want to enjoy love on our own terms. Take for example, all the relationships we have, which attempt to celebrate the idea of romantic love, while at the same time, removing all sense of commitment. The idea that love can walk away from the object of our love whenever we no longer feel inclined to stay. We call this freedom free love. Free love that was coming into popularity in the 60s and 70s and as a notion which is now well entrenched in our society. The English writer G.K. Chesterton said, They have invented a new phrase that is a black and white contradiction in two words. Free love. The idea of free love at bottom is not love at all. It is really a definition of love that allows each individual to pursue their own selfish desires towards another individual for as long as it suits them. But love, by its very nature, always binds itself. This must be the case. We see this in romance, in marriages, in families. The joy of one is bound up in the happiness of the other. Love is never free, it is always bound. The lover, towards his beloved, shows his love by giving her her desires, her good. Placing her always in front of himself, never free from her. Always bound. Always bound. That's what love demands. So is our love bound up to God. We cannot love him without obeying him. All through the law and the prophets, the Lord speaks to his people and says, I thought that you would call me father, but they refused to listen, to obey him. You are my son. I brought you out of Egypt. The more I called to you, the further you went away from me, refusing to obey. Jesus called to love here in John 15 carries with it all the weight of this long history of this same command throughout the Bible. Love the Lord your God. Love him, which means obedience. It is the language of the covenant between God and his people. The relationship between God and his people that demands his people love him with all their hearts, all their souls, and with all their strength. That means obeying him. John and 2 John makes the same point again to the church when he said, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That is love. That is the nature of love. Love that binds oneself. Here in verse eight, Jesus continues, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus here makes the point that keeping his commandments is necessary for abiding in him, for being his friends. Christ's words here to his disciples parallel the Old Testament covenant relationship between Yahweh and Israel. It is the same language, the same weight as the covenantal language of the Old Testament. Do you see the ramifications of this? The language that Jesus is using makes it clear, especially obvious to his early Jewish audience, that the love that Israel owes to the Lord is now said to be owed to Jesus. This is a bold statement, as Jesus is known to make, particularly in John's gospel. Statements about who Jesus is as the Lord of Israel. And now, here is one more. Now the command is, Love me. Keep my commandments. No mere Jewish teacher or rabbi would ever have said such a thing. No Jewish teacher or rabbi would have dared to say such a thing. And we are to remain, abide in Jesus' love by keeping his commandments. The same commandments that we have been given to love the Lord and obey him are now applied to Jesus. And without that love and obedience, the fruit, one is cut off from the vine. Of course, our ability to bear fruit comes by virtue of being in the vine. Branches cannot bear fruit unless they are first in the vine. The life, of course, flows through the vine and into the branches. We know that. But the fruit is to prove that you are my disciples. That is how the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Without fruit, you demonstrate who you truly are, whether or not the Lord recognizes you as his disciples. Regardless of what anyone else thinks about you, you cannot fool the Father. The Father looks for fruit and demands it of you, of love that obeys, even when it is hard. The renowned preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Beloved in the Lord, I am persuaded that no truth needs to be pressed more upon my soul and yours than this that positive fruit is the only test of our being in Christ. You feel the strength of that statement. It is positive fruit, not just negative things. I'm not a bad person, I am no murderer, etc. No, what is commanded here is fruit, positive fruit. Do you love the Lord Jesus, and do you love one another? These are the questions before us. God comes as a gardener, looking at a vine that he planted, expecting fruit to come from it, and yet some branches just occupy space and no matter how much he calls to them no matter how much he prunes them no matter how much care and nurturing he gives them they will not produce fruit what should a gardener do when a branch won't bear fruit despite all the care he gives them what would you have him do the branches are good for nothing except to be used as fuel They need to be cut off and cast aside. There are some brothers and sisters who will be cut off, perhaps more than we want to think. Some who think themselves as part of the vine. And one day they will be cut off because they did not keep his commandments. They did not love him. The scriptures are full of warnings like this, warnings of severe consequences. Do we take them seriously? They are for us. They are for our good, and they are for all of us. For there are those who are in the vine and bear no fruit. They sit in church week by week, but their hearts are cold. Scripture teaches us very clearly that one day all will be judged according to what they have done and not done. The sheep and the goats will be separated. Many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The Great Commission demonstrates the centrality of obedience. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what? What? To obey all that I have commanded you. And here, in this farewell discourse, Jesus emphasized his new commandment, that they love one another. In today's passage, Jesus said this a second and a third time. He wants us to hear this. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. I don't know what the particular challenges you face here at City Life are. I'm unaware of your struggles. Where you need encouragement, praise, or rebuke. But we... All of us live in some challenging times, at least compared to what we are doing. And through our present difficulties, Jesus expects us to bear fruit. His commandment to love one another is just as binding to us as it was to those whom he addressed that night. So I ask you, City Life, is this community marked by mutual love and affection? Are there those among you who are on the fringes? Are you sensitive to the needs and concerns of everyone among you? Is it your desire to leave no one out to ensure that every member is able to fully participate in the life of the church? Love one another. Jesus pleads with us to do this. This is what fruit-bearing is, those acts of love that build each other up, that spirit of love which rejoices with those who rejoice and mourns with those who mourn. Our culture does not model love well, not in speech, not in a charitable interpretation of words or actions of others, not in what is done or in what is left undone, are we walking in Jesus' ways? Are we forsaking the way of the world? Are we obeying his commandment to love one another? The first time in his farewell discourse, Jesus proclaimed his new commandment to love one another. He also said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another this is the mark christ gives to the true church that the world recognizes us to be his disciples by our love for one another these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full at the heart of our obedience is joy As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Obeying the Lord is always for our good, even when it is difficult to do so, even when there is so much in the world drawing us away from obedience, even when the world ridicules us for it. At the conclusion of this farewell discourse, Jesus proved to his disciples, his friends, what manner of love he had for them and for us. His perfect example of love steadfastly forged its way to the cross where he suffered and died, willingly laying down his life for them and for us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends this is why we love him because he first loved us and laid down his life for us and this is why we want to obey him imperfect though that obedience may be because of what he has done for us his perfect love binds us it binds us to him his perfect love binds us to each other and that love as in all true love, is bound with obedience. May we more and more love and obey our Redeemer, bringing him glory by joyously bearing fruit for his kingdom. Amen. Shall we pray? Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your words, for they are indeed life. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the will and the love for you that wants to obey you. And Lord, we thank you that Christ has redeemed us from all of our sins. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.